We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. As you're turning there, just kind of get us in the mindset, remember where we've been and where we're going. As we've been, we started a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've entitled the series The Fractured Church, and that's exactly where, where Corinth was. They were they were fractured, they were split with uh, uh, divisions over different issues. And one of the main issues we've been talking about um, here in the beginning is uh, personalities. They were split over different leaders. Uh, they were identifying with different leaders within the church, and, and, uh, and it was actually causing divisions. And they saw it in a way that they were almost bragging on it. They thought they were super spiritual because of these divisions. And Paul was pointing out to them, no, you guys are actually quite carnal. In fact, as we looked at two weeks ago, the first portion of chapter 3, he asked the question several times, are you not carnal? Are you not carnal and walk as men? And, and he asked them this question. And the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we kind of see there are three different categories of people. Uh, he discusses the, the natural man. That's the lost man. That's the person who's still yet in his sins. Uh, the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins and, and, uh, and, and uses the word quickened. We're made alive together with him uh, because of our need for a Savior. We are dead in sins. He makes us alive when we get saved. So he talks about the natural man, how the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And then we have the spiritual man. He's the saved person. He's the person that is saved and going in the direction of growth, following the Lord, desiring to please him. And then the beginning of chapter 3 was introduced to a third person that he classifies this church as, and that is the carnal man. The carnal man is a saved man, uh, a spiritual man who's walking or living like the natural man, like who he was, not who he is. The carnal man is one who is identifying more with the Corinth that is around him than the Christ that is within him. He's going back to those old habits, those old places, those old friends, uh, and those old patterns of his life, and, and uh, rather than identifying with the Christ within him. And what was happening in this church was a lot of the, the concepts of the culture around them were creeping in. Now, I know we can't relate to that today, but uh, that's what was going on here in the first century Corinth as uh, the church was becoming more and more reflective of the society that was around them. And uh, so these people were saved. He starts off chapter 3, brethren, I, brethren, could not speak unto you. He was addressing these people as believers, his brethren. And I just want to say, just because you are in the Spirit, just because you are saved, does not mean you are walking in the Spirit. And that was the issue with this church. And in fact, in Galatians 5, 25 and 26, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. And those are actually the issues that Paul was pointing out in here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, when we talk about the flesh, remember, many times you and I, we start to talk about uh, sinful activities. We say, oh, that's fleshly activity. And, and that might be right, but what Paul specifically addresses in, uh, in chapter 3 uh, he talks about envying, strife, and divisions. I'm not going to re-preach the message from two weeks ago. I'd encourage you to go listen if you, if you missed it. But envying, strife, and divisions. And, uh, and that's what was ex ex uh, going on in this church. And he says that was carnal. And they, they, what's interesting about this is they thought it was spiritual. They thought this was a, a high road, so to speak. And, and, uh, and so as in Galatians it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Paul addresses them and says, says because you're carnal, uh, I need to talk to you like car the carnal people that you are. 
I need to speak with uh, spiritually, uh, you know, the carnal person. They cannot perceive truth. They, they could hear truth, but they couldn't really perceive it. Why? Because they're babies. They could not uh, uh, receive spiritual truth like the spiritual person could. They were clouded by their carnality, and so you had to talk to them with single-syllable words. You had to talk to them with baby talk. So we looked at uh, uh, bottle feeders and baby talk. You had to give them milk instead of meat. You had to talk with them in very simple language, spiritually speaking. So here we are in 1 Corinthians 3. Let's look at verse number 4. We looked at verse 4 last time, but we'll recap it here because it it sets up the context for the next few verses. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, he says, are ye not carnal? You know, he says to them, he says, if you're doing this, I belong in this group, and, uh, or I belong in this group, and he's, he's asking them the question, aren't you carnal for making silly, petty divisions like this? Uh, that's how the world behaves. That, that's what the world does. He says, I saved you out of that. By the way, don't we see that so much today? I mean, isn't, isn't society, isn't media, isn't all these things trying to push more and more divisions in our culture? Notice how we lose power as people when we're divided. Notice how we're distracted when we're divided. You know, they try to make everything about race. Or they try to make things about different uh, uh, classes. You know, pay your fair share. Or they try to make it about all these different things. What does that do to us as people? Well, we start to ignore the big issues, don't we? We start to ignore what's really going on up in D.C., and I'm not going to get into all that like uh, you guys try to lure me into all the time. But, uh, um, but, but if you think about it, though, what does that do to the people? Divide and conquer, right? We can't stand as one. United we stand. We can't stand as one if we're divided over these little issues. Same thing's happening in Corinth. And by the way, I want to say same thing. The devil has the same tactics in churches. Churches that are doing nothing for the Lord are divided churches. You're going to find that every time. They're divided over something. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it has crept in. And so he says, I've, you know, the Lord has saved you out of that. You've been called out of that. Why are you letting the world creep in? And so, so here's the challenge. He says this, are you not carnal? And uh, what was the carnality about? One saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Uh, verse number five. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? Uh, but ministers by whom ye believed. Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. That's, that's his produce, so to speak. Uh, ye are God's building. And in verse number 9, Paul kind of pivots in his illustration and, and sets it up for the, for, for the verses to follow, which we'll look at next week. But, but he kind of turns the illustration towards a building. In verse number 10, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And... Uh, and uh, that, well, in verse number 10, by the way, it says this, um, again, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Um, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I wanted to jump back to verse number five real quick. He says then, who then is Paul? 
Uh, by, by the way, who is Paul when he talks about uh, these different areas? He, in verse number 10, he says he's a master builder. That's who Paul is. He's like a project manager. manager. He's not the architect. He's got the blueprints, and his job, a good architect who has the blueprints, his job is to build based on the architects, not to rewrite the drawings, right? So here in this text, Paul gives three metaphors. In verse number five, he gives a metaphor of a minister. Verse number six, he gives a metaphor of a farmer. And verse number nine, a metaphor of a builder. We're going to, uh, three illustrations of what human leaders in a local church are, ministers, farmers, and builders. And, and why do you think Paul would would take so much time on how we should view human leadership. I think we see very obviously they were divided over it. There was confusion over it, and, and, and you know, they were misunderstanding human leadership. He said, well, you know, you got Paul over here, you got Apollos, you got Cephas, you got Peter, and what they were doing is they were making them out to be celebrity pastors. That's how they viewed them. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about celebrity pastors or simple servants. Which is it? Celebrity pastors or simple servants, which is it? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this time together in your word. I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help the, the hearers as we dissect the word of God today, that, you would, that we would take it in, that we would meditate on these things, that we'd uh, get out of it what you'd have us to get out of it. And Lord, we do pray that your blessed Holy Spirit would guide and direct us to all things and to the truth, and that you'd be pleased with everything that is said and done with the responses of our hearts, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was young growing up, my dad was a celebrity dad. There was nothing my dad couldn't do. When, uh, uh, from a young age, my dad lifted weights, and he worked out, and I'd have my friends over, and I'd say, Dad, show us how strong you are. And he'd flex his muscles, and it looked like there was a softball in there, and uh, he'd pick us up, and uh, I'll tell you, my dad, I'd see, I'd see uh, things on TV, I'd see different competitions, and I'd be like, my dad could do that. He was a superhero. And, uh, and he had uh, great abilities. My dad knew everything. He, he, knew, he had all wisdom and all understanding. That's, that's who my dad was. I'm the son of a, of, of a guy that knew all those things. When I'd go to school and I'd talk with my friends and I'd, I'd see their parents, and I'm like, my dad could take him. <laughs> and he could have. You know, in fact, to this day, my dad's an old man now, but to this day, he could still beat me. He could still whoop on me. He's He's tough. And uh, uh, but that's who my dad was. But, but you know, when, when, as I got a little bit older and I started learning some things and I hit my teenage years, it, it astounded me how ignorant my dad was. I mean, how long have you been alive and you don't understand how life works? And I would challenge him. And, and then not only that, I, I said, Dad, people don't dress like that. Dad, you're dressing like an old man. What are you doing? You don't wear tube socks with flip-flops. I'm sorry. And, and then shorts to boot. All right, and we're, I'm like, what happened to you? And, uh, you know, what's funny is I went from one extreme to the other. You know, the reality is both extremes were wrong. As I got a little bit older, I got out of the house and went into the army and kind of got into the real world a little bit. And I remember calling home and calling my dad and asking for advice. And I was, I was astonished on how much he learned in a few years while I was away. <laughs> and I thought... I thought, boy, you've, you've, been, you've been reading or something. But he, he figured some things out. You know, Paul was a celebrity pastor in their eyes. You know, they, they saw Paul, they saw Paulos, you know, Paul, he's our man. 
no, no, Apollos, he's, he's our man. They're, they're dividing these areas, and, and, uh, and, 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 and that wasn't good. And Paul kind of corrects his thinking, and, and, um, but they created divisions around these positions of human personalities, and it was not helping the church. It was not healthy. They had the wrong view. Then, ironically, the church went so far the other direction that in 2 Corinthians, Paul had to kind of reaffirm his apostleship and say, hey, guys, um, uh, you need to kind of have some more thought and some more respect into this position that God has put me into for your sakes, in your life. And see, both, both uh, sides were wrong. Eventually, they came to this healthy balance of what human leadership ought to be within the church. But uh, uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this idea of celebrity pastors or simple servants. What, 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 who were these people that, were, that this church was all revolved around? And by the way, this is still going on today. This is still happening today. All right. Of course, we have all, you know, certain famous preachers that uh, are on TV or, or different things, writing books and, and all these things, and that's kind of natural. We, it's almost in our human nature that we love to idolize people. Right? In fact, one of the top shows for years was a show called American idol, right? And uh, we just love to do that. We love to idolize sports stars, uh, 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 musicians, uh, di- different, different areas. And by the way, parents, encourage your children to have good heroes. Good heroes. All right? Uh, some of these sports stars, hey, they may be able to throw a ball around, but the morality is, is through the floor. All right? Uh, have them pick some, 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 some heroes of character. Have them read some biographies of, of great missionaries or or people have made a difference, even military leaders, uh, people of, of character. But, um, but anyways, we do that today. We, there are certain segments that unless you went to a certain Bible college, uh, you're, not, you're, you're, you're a worthless preacher. Uh, a missionary trying to raise support, unless you went to a certain school or a certain, uh, you know, if you know certain people, and so we start dropping names, and we say, uh, you know, oh, so-and-so told me to say hi, you know, you're friends with so-and-so, and, and in that context, it's always doctor so-and-so, and, and we, we, we love to kind of put people up on a pedestal and, and uh, uh, look at this person, look at who they are. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. Look at verse number five. Paul says this. He asks this question. Who then is Paul? You know, the, 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 um, the pronoun there, who, uh, who then is Paul, it's interesting. It's actually written in the neuter, meaning it didn't have gender. And, it, it, and, and Paul wasn't saying, you know, I, I don't identify as a gender. <laughs> he wasn't saying he's non-binary. What he was saying was uh, not Paul as the person who is Paul, but Paul as a position who is Paul. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who is this position? Who is this person? Not, 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 not as an individual, but as that position in your life. Who is this person? And, and how should they understand this position among the people? And so Paul's going to kind of lay that out a little bit. Who are these individuals? Who are these people in the church? So the first thing I want to look at, in order to help us, Paul gives us three illustrations of who these individuals are. Who are the ministers? He gives, uh, he gives, first of all, an illustration of a table waiter, Some, someone who serves. Uh, when you're at a restaurant, uh, you don't go and you fill your own drink, right? Or it's not supposed to work that way. Sometimes you get a little impatient. You're fine, I'll, I'll do it. I can, see the, I can see the drink station where I'm sitting, and my drink is empty. I'm going to get up and go and do that. And it's, it's funny, my wife and I will sit there, and, and when my glass is empty, I'm like, uh, and their tip begins to go down now. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, you know, their job is to bring you that, they're bringing out the food and, and, uh, and so forth. We understand the concept 
step there. And, uh, you know, we expect that. So he lays this out. The first illustration we'll look at in just a minute is that of a table waiter. The second illustration he gives is that of a farmer. Now, Paul was obviously not a farmer. He was not a table waiter. But he's using these to show what human leaders ought to be, human leadership, what it ought to be. And the third illustration he'll give was a project manager, and we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But the first thing uh, here, the table waiter, look at verse 5. Who is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? Ministers. The word there for ministers is uh, diakonos, which is like where we get the word deacon, diakonos. Uh, and it means the word servant. And, and in the first century context, what it's actually literally referring to and meaning is a table waiter. A table waiter. In fact, the first deacons were, were selected in Acts 6, and, uh, and the apostles have said, it's not meet that we should leave the, the work of the ministry and serve tables. That, so they selected some folks to serve tables. And that's what the word there, minister, meant, and, and uh, one who waits tables. In fact, in John chapter 2, when Jesus, the first miracle there at the wedding of Cana, he's there in Cana, and, uh, and um, and the Bible talks about those servants that were there. That's the word that's used. These were, their job was to fill the wine. Their job was to replenish the, the drinks for the people. And that's what they did. So he's asking this question, who is Apollos and who is, who is Paul and what was their position? And, and he's basically telling them, our position is to wait tables. Our position is to be servants, to, to, to serve you all. And that, that, that's what his heartbeat was. In fact, that's what we see all throughout with the Apostle Paul. He says, I gladly spend and be spent for you all. The more I love, the less I am loved. He says, this is my calling, this is my desire, this is my passion, that for the Lord's sake and for their sake, I'm debtor to you all, he also says. He says, I'm going to spend myself, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be a minister. And so what do waiters do? Waiters serve. A waiter does not cook the food. You know, it's interesting how oftentimes our impression of a waiter, it, it is formulated by things that are completely out of the waiter's control. What's taking so long? And typically, our tip will reflect that. Oh, man, that was the best steak I ever had. Right? We think to the waiter, good job. You know? Now, some of us are smart enough to think, oh, yeah, that was a good chef, right? That was a good cook. But typically, you know, that's the face that you see of the, of the, the restaurant you're at. And, and uh, you know, and you, you, you go and you order your, uh, your steak, you know, uh, uh, medium rare or medium well, and it comes back uh, well done, and you think that is, the, that is the cardinal sin right there. They messed up my steak. And, uh, and then our tip begins reflected, but really that was out of their control, wasn't it? Their job was to go uh, deliver the message to the cook who would then cook up your food and then take that food that had been cooked by somebody else and bring that to your table. And is there anything you need while you sit here and enjoy the food that was prepared for you? That was, that was them. Their job was, was simply to serve the food. That's what Paul was saying is it's not about us. We did not come up with this life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did not die on the cross for you all. But rather, our job, we came and we simply, as we saw in the beginning of, of this book, we simply preached Christ. When I came into you, I came out with excellency of speech and with man's wisdom, but, 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 but in declaration of, uh, uh, of the truth. We, we, we preach Christ and him crucified. He said, he said, that's what my message was. That's what my desire was. I was not crucified for you. I, was not, um, I did not come up with this, but rather he was simply a servant. My job is to take the message, to take it and come and deliver it to you. And by the way, I just want to say as a pastor, my job is not to come up with the most crafty sermon. My job is to take the word of God and deliver it to you. 
That's my job. Now, I want to get good at it. I want to be effective at it. But, but, but my effectiveness is not in, you know, man's wisdom. It's not going to be in whatever the latest scheme is, whatever the latest uh, uh, ideology or, uh, or philosophy of this world. My, it's got to come straight from the Word of God. That must be the emphasis. I was told one time, uh, you know, you put too many verses, you put too many Bible passages in your sermon. And uh, to which I responded, you know, I'd rather have less of my own commentary and more of the Bible, because at least we know that's infallible. All right, if all I did was got up here and read the Bible, hey, we got the unsearchable eternal riches from God today. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the table waiter. So Paul's telling them, he says, don't think too highly of us. Don't think higher of us than, than, than you ought to think. We are servants for Christ's sake. So he gives the illustration of a table waiter, and then secondly, he gives the illustration of a tool. They are tools. Notice verse number five again. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. By whom? Notice the prepositional phrase there, by whom. Uh, they were simply tools to be used of God. We are the waiters. We carry the meal from the kitchen to the table, but we are also tools that God used. What it, and by the way, that's a good and healthy way for you to look at your life. That's a good and healthy way for me to look at my life. I'm simply a tool. <laughs> that's it. I'm just a tool for God to use. God has a purpose, and that's how God uses us. That's how all of us are. Do you know that God has outfitted you to fulfill a purpose for the cause of Christ that no one else can fulfill? God has specifically outfitted you as a tool, as one of his tools for the cause of Christ that nobody else can fulfill. That is for you. That is his plan for you. You see, you and I, we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2 makes that very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then it goes on, for we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. See, you and I, we've been created for a purpose to, to unto good works. That is something God had, had preordained, if you would, that when you get saved, when I get saved, God says, now I have an eternal plan, an eternal purpose for you to fulfill that only you can fulfill. That's your plan. That, that's his tool. You are not, uh, uh, that's why, by the way, it's so ridiculous for us to compare ourselves with ourselves. That's why it's so ridiculous to kind of look at others and say, well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Or There are no two people in this room that are the same. We, we have different experiences. We have different energy levels. We have different, we have different talents. Different. Why? Because God has a different purpose for each of us. You see, so, some of you in this room are great mechanics. Um... I am not. <laughs> when my car breaks down, I open the hood, and I look at it, and I don't look like an idiot in front of my wife, so I just start naming parts. It could be the carburetor. That's a part, right? could be the battery. Maybe the tire. That's about all I know. That's all about all the parts I know, right? Yesterday, I was, uh, uh, my truck is in the parking lot, and my car's in the parking lot because my truck won't start. And, uh, and uh, my starter was not, you know, so I thought maybe it was cold. So I'm getting under the car, under the truck, and I'm, I'm looking for the starter. And it's dark. It's 20 below out. And, uh, and I see something that kind of looks like this offering plate on the side of, the, of the, the motor. And I thought, 
Now, I know that doesn't go there, so I kind of look at it, tap it, and it moves. I pull it off. It's one of those little magnetic dishes to put your screws. It was attached to my engine. When I moved it, I realized they used that to, for the glue to set when they attached the, the um, uh, heating pad. <laughs> I thought, well, that works, right? But I knew enough to know that didn't go there. So I'm under there, I'm hitting the starter with the hammer, and it never starts. I take a screwdriver, I try to short it out to get it to start, it doesn't start, and that's about all I can do. So Dave, we'll need to talk after. <laughs> but you know, you, mechanics, you get really excited when you get a new tool. Oh man, that's going to make my life easier, that's a tool I need. And I get excited because you're going to help me with my car. <laughs> but you know, you ever try to do the job with the wrong tool? Right? You ever try to make it work? I don't know about you, but there's something about that 10 millimeter socket that just never finds its way back to the toolbox. So you try to, yeah, I'm preaching now, right? Uh, so so, so you, you, you try to find a way to make it work, and it just doesn't work. I'm always on my kids when they're using a tool for the thing it's not made for. I said, you're either going to damage something or hurt yourself. Just make it a rule. You can't, you're not supposed to use uh, the, the, the uh, tool for something it's not made for, right? How many things we've just turned into hammers? No, that's not meant to be a hammer. Well, it works. Okay. But you know, the reality is this. God has a tool chest. And the tool chest is the body of Christ. God has outfitted each of us differently. We're, we're each unique. You see, what good is it if we are all 10 millimeter sockets? Tell you what, you're not going to be able to change your spark plugs. You see, and, and we can look at different things, and, uh, but, but God has a tool set. He says, we are just simply tools. We are, we are ministers by whom ye believed that are used of God. In fact, the whole book of 1 Corinthians was really about us all having the same purpose. We all have the same God. We have the same motivation, but we are different people who are used differently in the body of Christ. That's the whole idea of being, being called the body. We would get that idea of the body of Christ. It shows up a few times, but it really is laid out in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the hand and the feet and the eyes and the ears, and, and they're all different and they're all needful. And even the more feebly members, the, the lesser, if you would, are needful in the body. If one hurts, the whole thing hurts. You ever stub your toe? Right? You don't even think about your toe during the day, and then you stub it, and it's going to mess up your whole day. God says we're table eaters. God said we're tools. That's all Paul was referring to them. And then notice, notice thirdly, verse number five. We have been tasked for something. Verse five. Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? And here's the concept. God is the one who, who puts people in place. God's the one who takes the tool for the task out of the toolbox to be used in the task. God is the one who matches the tool with the need. He's the one who puts the, the right wrench with the right bolt. He's the one that knows, okay, that is a 10 millimeter uh, bolt and that's a 10 millimeter socket. Those go together. Some of us are not smart enough to figure that out. God does, though. He says, I know exactly what the need is. And I know exactly where that piece fits. And I know exactly how it comes together. He's the one who puts it where it needs to go. And, and here God is saying, he says, I have tasked you. I have tasked Paul to do what Paul is to do. And I've tasked Apollos for what Apollos is to do. And, and, uh, and what the church of Corinth was expecting was for everyone to be like Paul. Well, you know, we're a Paul, you know. He's our man. 
And we're of Apollos. No, no, no. Everyone should, we should be like Apollos. And everyone's, here, here's Apollos. And then the guy that loves to just trump them all. Well, we're of Jesus, so you guys. And, 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 and they're trying to cram everybody into the same sort of cookie cutter type of thing. And so what was Paul's specific gifting? If they're different, what was Paul's gifting? His purpose, Paul's purpose, was to go and plant churches. In fact, Romans 15, he kind of talks about that, and, and he says this, his job was to plant churches specifically where the Christ had never been named. He said, I'm not going to go and, 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 and build on another man's foundation. I want to go where no one has been. Well, is that, supposed to, is that all of us? Is that, is, that, is that the calling of all of us to go? If that's the case, I would not have come here. Because what, what am I doing right now? I'm building on another man's foundation. That would be Apollos, not Paul. You see, uh, that's what, that's what uh, uh, a man by the name of Tim Peters did so many years ago. Is he came out and, and, and st- began a church out here in North Pole, began to carve out a work. And then there have been some others that have come along who have built upon that foundation. And then, and then uh, several years ago, you guys called me and, uh, to be the pastor and to, to fill those shoes. And, and, uh, and there's a similar purpose, but, but there's a different calling and there's a different tool that is used along the way. So even here in Corinth... Paul says he is the wise master builder. He, he laid the foundation. That's what Paul did. And then he came to a place where, uh, he came to a place where they didn't know Christ, a place called Corinth. And what did he do? He preached Christ and him crucified. And he began to lay the foundation. He says, that's the foundation for this church. That's the foundation for your Christian life. And so, so I'm going to come and I'm going to preach Christ. So he came to plant. That was his job. That's not everybody's job. That was his job. So Paul said, I planted for 18 long months, Paul planted. He, he worked as a tent maker during the day, and he would preach at night. He would win people to Christ, and he would disciple them. And for 18 months, he labored and labored and labored at a very tough place without much help. And, uh, and he planted a New Testament church there in the, in the town called Corinth. That's what he did. Then he left there, and a little later, Apollos came. Apollos had been trained by Aquila and Priscilla over in Ephesus. And, uh, and he had a ministry, uh, Apollos did, in Corinth. And his ministry was different from Paul's. In fact, Apollos had a greater influence with the Jewish population than Paul did. Did that mean he was better than Paul? Did that make him a better preacher than Paul? No. That was just his purpose. That's just why he was there. And, and it was different. It was for a uh, different uh, uh, task. Would. And the point is that you and I, we all have a job. And, and I like the end of that passage in verse number 5. Even as... The Lord gave to every man. As God called Paul and as God called Apollos, they were ministers by whom, uh, that, that, that God used them. He says, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. God has a purpose for every man and, and God has placed you in his toolbox. God has put you in his church uh, for a purpose to be used for his glory, for his task. So all of us have been tasked. All of us. We are ministers, human leaders, and to a degree, that's all of us. Uh, uh, as, 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 as human believers, leaders, we're, we are servants, not celebrities. That's the call. Notice secondly, and lastly, you like that? Verse number six, he goes into his extended metaphor. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
You know, it's interesting how, how Paul would often use the illustration of agriculture. Now, I don't think, I don't think there's any indication that Paul had experience in agriculture. I don't think he did. Uh, but he used, he used several examples. He used illustrations that people would understand. He, he used an illustration of childbearing or, or travailing in birth, and I'm pretty sure Paul never did that. But it was things that people would connect with. People understood these metaphors. And, uh, you know, in fact, that's one of the main illustrations that Jesus would use about the gospel and evangelism was agriculture. In fact, in verse number 9, Jesus went to the cities, and he was preaching, and he was healing people. And then, then he kind of sat down, and he said he was looking uh, at Jerusalem, and, he, and it says that he was moved with compassion as sheep having no shepherd. And, and, and he said this, he says, he says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. It's interesting. He didn't say that he would send forth seed sowers, that he'd send forth waterers, that he'd even send forth reapers. No, no. He says, pray for the Lord of a harvest that he'd send forth laborers. Why? Because they're all needed. We need all the tools. By the way, have you ever noticed in your uh, collection of tools, there are some tools that just don't get a lot of use? Some tools get more use. You know, we ought not to compare ourselves among ourselves. There are different purposes for the different tools. With Black Friday that we just had, uh, I was going through Lowe's and Home Depot and all these sales that are going on. And by the way, have you noticed there's like less and less sales? It's kind of like, why did I get up so early? But anyways, uh, I'm kind of like, ooh, I could really use that. And I thought to myself, for what? I know there'd be a time, there will be a time. I've had to look for that thing before, but... I don't see myself using that very often. And so I was like, I'll just pass it up. I'll get it when I need it, right? And, um, but, uh, uh, but he says there, pray for the Lord of the hearts that he sent for laborers. What, is it, what does he want? He wants the availability of laborers. For the harvest truly is plenteous, but what? The laborers are few. There's a lacking of laborers. Interesting, Jesus, uh, you know, the, what, what, this, what he asks for. The emphasis is not on what we can each do better. I can do this better than them, and, and, you know, but, but rather that we've been uh, equally outfitted for service. You've got your area. You've got your strength. You've got uh, what God has called you to do. We can all volunteer. We can all serve in various capacities. We can all pray. Jesus emphasized something that we can all do. Uh, labor. Remember Jesus uh, came to Samaria, came to that woman at the well there, and he sent his disciples there into town and uh, to go get some supplies. They'd been, they'd been serving with the Lord Jesus. They'd been preaching. They'd been casting out devils. But while they were in that town, you know what they didn't do? They didn't tell anybody about Jesus. This woman of Samaria, and, and I, I'll tell you why. They didn't think that was a needful message for the Samaritans. This woman of Samaria, uh, Jesus tells her, and she's, she's a, an outcast not only because she's a Samaritan, but in Samaria she was a, an outcast because uh, she had she'd been married so many times. And we find her going and drawing water in the middle, in the heat of the day, not when the rest of the women would typically draw water. And, and Jesus is sitting there, and he begins to strike up a conversation with her. She understands, you're Messiah that we've been waiting for. She's so excited. She leaves her water pots. She heads back to town. You know what she starts doing? She doesn't even care about her reputation anymore. She doesn't even care that, that, that you know, she just starts telling everybody, hey, let me tell you about this man who told me all things about myself. Let me, let me tell you, Messiah has come. And, and she goes back, and, and what does she do? She becomes an evangelist. <laughs> and she does more than these guys who've been trained with Jesus Christ. And he, we find him yet again using 
the illustration. He tells them, hey, I sent you guys to go reap. The, 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 the harvest, you missed it. And that's what he says, say not, there, there's four months, then cometh the harvest, for I tell you, lift up your eyes, uh, it's, it's wide unto harvest already. You guys, the harvest is there, and you, you know what, you're too focused on, well, I gotta get groceries, and I gotta do this, and, and, and let me just say, I wanna, let me challenge us, folks, the harvest is there. Let's not get too caught up with life that we miss the harvest, that we miss the purpose, that we miss really what it's all about, and those are important things. By the way, did they need food? Did they need groceries? Yes. Sometimes we're not there for us. Sometimes God has some divine appointments waiting for us. So he uses this metaphor of planting. What do we learn about this illustration? First of all, their jobs were different. Paul did not emphasize the difference. It takes different jobs to accomplish the greater purpose. Look, at it, look again at verse number six. I have planted, Apollos watered. Two different jobs. And he was not emphasizing one above the other. You know, uh, I don't really follow sports much, um, and especially lately as they're, trying to get, they're getting political. But, uh, but if you follow sports and uh, you've got a football team, and everyone on that football team has a different job, right? And what's, what's funny is we typically, unless you really follow it, you don't know a lot of famous uh, linemen, right? Unless you really follow and you know all the players, well, what position do we typically know of notable football players? Quarterback, right? So since the quarterback's the most popular position and kind of eyes are on the quarterback, you know what I'm going to do to put together an all-star team? I'm going to search out all the best quarterbacks. And I'm going to make an entire team of quarterbacks. I promise you, we will not win a single game. Not one. Why? Because we're trying to fit them in different positions. They're not made for that. Right? And, and, and that's how it was. We can't try to put everybody into the same box and say, well, God did it this way with one person, so he's going to do it that way with every person. You know, sometimes we make that mistake when the Bible even talks about just historical events, in the Old Testament in particular. He does something a certain way at one time, and we think, that's how he's always going to do it. No, no, he just did that right there, that one time. You see? I don't know about you, but... Uh, I'm not looking around trying to find a message from a donkey. I didn't come to church early thinking, all right, did the Lord leave me a writing on the wall? But we make that mistake sometimes. And we do it with personalities. My wife and I served at a church once, and uh, we, had a, we had a real struggle, and, and part of it was this thing. It was, it was uh, uh, trying to fit me into the same mold that the pastor we were working with fit into. We had, a, we had a great Paul and Apollo situation. And, uh, and, and, and I was trying to be forced to be a Paul. And it created great tension and created great difficulty. Rather than seeing how those pieces are to fit together, we say, no, no, no. 10 millimeter socket is all we'll ever need. I'm sorry, it's not. You see, I read a thing one time about um, uh, golf. Now, I don't golf, but maybe one day. <laughs> And uh, they were talking about uh, if you only had one driver, or, or rather one club, which club would you use that would be the most diverse for, for all, you know, all the things that you would do on the golf course? And uh, I don't remember, I think they came up with like a nine iron or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, if there was one, and, and I thought to myself, one? Why would you only want one? 
You have some of your things you need to do, you know, get, get, get a diversity, get, get as much as you can. Why? Because there's a mission, there's a job. You need to get that ball to that hole with as few strokes as possible. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I need to figure out how this thing works. And, and if I just have one to work with, there's only, I'm very limited. You see, I thought that's kind of a silly thing, to hypothetical, you know. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's what we tend to do. We find, no, no, that's my favorite and that's all I'm ever going to use. Why? There are other jobs that need to be done. You see, that 11 millimeter socket is not going to put air in my tire. That's a different task. That's a different job. That's a different tool. So in order to be effective, we have to be different. <clears throat> so instead of comparing ourselves, let's celebrate how God has made us different to fit in and, and the difference for the cause of Christ. Paul, Paul says, I, am, I was a planter. Apollos was a waterer. We both love God. We both had our purpose. We have the same goal, and that's bringing people to spiritual maturity. But our jobs were different. So we see, first of all, their jobs were different. Secondly, their jobs were de-emphasized. Look at verse number six. I have planted, Apollos watered, get this now, but God gave the increase. You see, we have different jobs, but neither of us uh, uh, do our jobs alone get it done. You see, if all you ever did was plant plant, plant, and no one came behind to water, nothing gets done. And if all I did was water, 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 all I did was make mud. But then beyond that, nothing will grow without God's hand in it. Because you, no matter how good you are, no matter how green your thumb is, you can't actually make the plant grow. Right? We have, we have there's a process of how plants grow. I think the word is photosynthesis. Is that, is that right? Did I say that right? All, all kinds of stuff that, that, that's involved in there. And if, if God does not give life to that thing, then, then, then all we are is hole diggers and mud makers. We just dig holes and we make mud. We dig holes, we make mud, unless, God, unless that, 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 that fruit comes forth. And so, so we don't make things grow on our own. We just dig holes and we water. We plant, we dig holes, we plant, we water, we fill the holes. Paul is emphasizing what he can do uh, and, uh, and emphasizing what God can do. What happens if, all, if we do all we can do, but God doesn't do his part? Nothing. It comes to nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. I knew some people knew it. See, it's not what I can do, but I need to do my part. Paul is saying, it's not about what Apollos can do, but Apollos needs to do his part. But the reality is it was about God using both of them. God doing his part. It's about what God can do. And, and God, God can do without us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to fit us as a tool for that project, for that purpose. And, and uh, so you, you got to see what he's emphasizing here. He's emphasizing the fact that God gives the increase. He's emphasizing God and he's de-emphasizing man. So their jobs were different. He, uh, their jobs were uh, de-emphasized. Ironically, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul had to re-emphasize his position because they, they over-corrected there. They had to get to that place of the 20-something where, where there's a good balance. And then thirdly, verse number eight. Oh, look at verse seven. So then neither is he that planteth, what? Anything. I can say it this way. He's nothing. Paul, you're nothing. Paulus, you're nothing. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. What the Corinthian church had done is made a group of Paul. We're the planters, and all that matters is planting, right? We're, we're the children's ministry, and all that matters is the children's ministry, and everything else is secondary. We, the children's ministry, children's ministry, and we can't kind of plug anything into there, right? And then there's a group over here, Apollos. Uh, all, we are, all, all we are is discipleship. Discipleship, discipleship and all that matters, that's all that matters, and that's all we're going to do is discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And that was wrong too. And they, they, were, they were off balance in all these little areas. And so, it, but the reality is, it wasn't about that. Everyone had their segment, everyone had their little thing, their area. And it wasn't about that section, it wasn't about your gift, and it wasn't about these things, uh, you, whatever your emphasis is, it was about the body. It was about what was God doing as a whole. The planter and the waterer had the same purpose. The plant would grow and bear fruit and come to maturity. Same big job, same big purpose. Their jobs were different, their jobs were de-emphasized, and their jobs were dependent on each other. I'm dependent on Apollos. Paul was saying, what good is it if he lays a foundation nothing happens? You guys ever drive along and just see a foundation that was laid and abandoned? You think to yourself, well, that was a waste. Nothing good if it was just foundation and then nothing. Apollos would have nothing to build upon if there was no foundation laid. Well, all that matters is the building, right, right, Dave? Well, we'll just put a building. We don't need a foundation. We'll just put a building up. That's not going to work. There's permafrost under there. I'm dependent on Apollos, and Paul is dependent on me, is what Paul was saying here. What would happen if, if you plant a seed, but no one ever comes along and waters it? What happens if you water it, but nobody plants a seed? In order for this thing to work, everyone has to do their job. Everyone has to do their part. And so we are dependent one of another. That's what it says there. It says, um, now he that planteth and he that watereth, get this now, are one. They're one. That's why we're called a body. We need each other. When the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, when it talks about all these things, it's, it's fitly put together. When the body is healthy, it is self-edifying. Let me ask you, which part of your body, which system of your body is the most important? The nervous system? Is that the most important? Could you do without your digestive system? See, what if, what if, what if you didn't have your skeletal system? It only works if they're all working simultaneously. In fact, what do we call a body if one of its systems is failing? Well, fa not failed, but failing. We call it sick. Why are you sick? Because I'm not healing myself. I'm not doing what my body is made to do. There's something lacking. There's something missing. And so it is with the body of Christ when something's lacking. Something's out of place or out of, you know, we already talked about, we looked at the metaphor of the joint being out of socket or, or something like that. And, and uh, the reality is it's not healthy. It can't do what it was supposed to do because things were lacking. And if God gave everything that's needed, then the, then the question is, where's the lacking? Where, where is it falling apart? It needs to be edifying itself. That's what Ephesians uh, uh, 4 talks about, till it edifies itself in love. It's maturity till we all come together to a perfect man, a mature, complete body. It must all be intact. It must all work together. So Paul is saying we have different jobs. God is doing something. God's producing something. We are, I'm going to use the word, codependent. <laughs> we need each other. We as a body, we as a church, we need each other. And ultimately, we're dependent upon the Lord. Look at the last part of verse number 8. And everyone shall receive his own reward 
according to his own labor. Now, that's interesting because he says, as we labor together, the labor is one, yet everyone will receive their own reward. God does not emphasize your giftedness, but he emphasizes your responsibility. Key. Well, you know, I'm a good planter. That's great. Now we need some waterers. You, though, are accountable for your faithfulness. For your faithfulness. Look at verse number nine. We are laborers together with God. With God. At the end of the day, who is it that gets the harvest? In the metaphor of the harvest, it's the owner. The owner is the one that bought the field. The owner is the one that hired the workers. He hired the planter. He hired the waterer. He hired the reapers. At the end of the day, who gets the harvest? Who gets to reap the benefits? The owner did. So as you say, ye are God's husbandry. You are his product. As God's doing a work here, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting because in this particular model, if you would, the produce circulates around into perpetuating itself because now it becomes a worker as well, a laborer as well. But at the end of the day, it's God. At the end of the day, it's God who gets the increase. Let me say this, and we're done. We work for God, we work with God, and we are empowered by God. Where am I in that equation? Where am I in that equation? Where then is boasting? You see, it's not what I've gotten, but what I've received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. So where in that equation is there ground for taking credit? By the way, you know God hates pride, right? He hates it. I love the things we emphasize that God hates. Well, you know, God calls that sin an abomination. He also calls a proud look an abomination. He hates pride. Where's, where is both? Where in the equation do I have ground to take credit? Where in the equation do I have ground for being a celebrity pastor? Where in there? It's not there. Paul, I love what he says later on. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to say this, and I labored more abundantly than they all. Get this now. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul wasn't like bragging. Guys, I worked harder than everybody else. No, no, He looked at that and he analyzed and he said, God worked through me, empowered me to do so much. Folks, he wrote most of the New Testament. He was used of God. In fact, you and I, uh, if you're a Gentile in here today, you could just, it's probably safe to say I could trace my salvation back to Paul. In fact, if you got saved from reading the Bible, you could say you trace it back to Paul. As God used Paul to win me. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of the uh, late 1800s, he only lived to be about 57 years old, accomplished so much for God. I mean, his weekly schedule, uh, I, I'm exhausted just reading it, much less trying to emulate it. <laughs> he had a mind second to none, and he, he was very, very busy with editing. Uh, uh, he edited a Christian a paper. He would edit and print his own sermons. Uh, to this day, still the most published preacher ever. And um, uh, he uh, oversaw an orphanage. He uh, oversaw a Bible college. Uh, he would preach anywhere from, uh, from six to ten times a week. He would have nightly prayer meetings at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He had a, he had a church congregation of about 6,000, and he knew every one of his congregants by name. He was friends with David Livingston, a famous missionary. And 
Livingston said to him, he said, how do you accomplish so much? And he said, well, you don't understand. There are two of us. We are co-laborers together with God. And that's what it looks like when it's wholly surrendered and wholly given over. I'm going to do what I can and see what God does as God does his part. So which is the church? Celebrity pastor or simple servant? And what does God want from each of us? You see, we are his toolbox. We are his laborers. Let's have a word of prayer together.